Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? Everything's going well. How about you? Let's, let's get an update. We haven't heard about, uh, you know, what's going on with you and how you're, you're, you're progressing. And I know you've made some great strides, literally, um, recently. So why don't you give us an update? Sure. So um, I'm in a groove. Definitely. I'm still going to PT twice a week and I'm also doing strength training with Lauren twice a week. So I'm working hard. And then on the days that I'm not doing strength training, I'm also cycling and doing a lot of walking. So I'm, I'm really hitting all of the, the segments of my rehab and I'm proud to share that last week I started jumping um, off of a step, descending, jumping. And I wasn't really scared to do it. It was pretty cool because first um, at PT, I was on a leg press and I practiced leg pressing where you press and you bounce back, sort of like jumping, but lying down on your back. So I got used to that movement neuromuscularly. And then I translated it to a step and I jumped and I did it 10 times and landed in a squat. And I feel like that is a big step for me, no pun intended, because if you can jump, then that's like plyometrics is obviously very important for running. And then I'm finding that I'm at the point also where when I'm doing my exercises and doing my strength work on my surgical knee versus my other knee, I'm not seeing much of a difference in my balance and my stability. So I'm on my way and I know next month I'll be ready according to my team to walk, run. I just need to figure out if I feel ready mentally. Um, I have some anxiety about starting to walk, run. We talked a little bit about that with our next guest who we'll introduce in a moment, but that's my hurdle right now is trying to visualize myself running and understanding I won't at all be running the same way, the same pace, the same intensity that I was running before I hurt myself and reconciling that and recognizing that that's okay. And that's hard for me. Um, so I'm going to have to work through that because I want to get back to running and enjoying running and not comparing myself to what I was before my injury. And hopefully one day I'll be back to where I was, but I can't let that be my focus because that'll make me miserable. So that's where I am. And fortunately, I think the timing of when I'll be able to start walk run will be right when the weather gets warmer and that'll make it much better and easier. And I'm hopeful that I can engage with um, other people to run walk with me so that I have company and I'll come um, run walk with you. I would love that. That would make me so happy. Um, I'll come to you. That would make me so happy okay. just to have, you know, that, that feeling of, of being with your friends and doing something instead of in my head thinking, okay, my pace is nowhere near what it used to be. What does this mean? Having conversation and distracting me from that, I think is what I need to start off on the right foot. So that's where I am. And I'm, I'm really happy with my progress. And while I'm certainly not happy to be in this situation, I couldn't ask knock on wood for a better recovery so far. And I'm so grateful for that. That's great. And I know it has not been a quick journey for you, um, but um, it seems like it's going, but you know, you're, you're progressing so well that it feels like, wow, here you are getting ready, starting to think about getting back to run walk, which is the first step in getting back to running and, 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 you know, you've, you've gotten through it. So, and I think our discussion that we have um, coming up with our guest today is, um, you know, we touch on uh, coming back from, from injury and, um, I think it's important to recognize and to, and to honor, um, you know, give yourself the space to 
feel that um, that that kind of anxiety that comes with, you know, I think, um, and um, Justin, our, our guest, talks about this, that, you know, everyone kind of will probably look at you and be like, wow, you've made so much progress. And are you excited now you can get back to running like that's the end of it and that's not that's actually where um a lot of the a, a lot of those that mental challenge can can ramp up um because you've had a, a game plan the whole time you've had you know you've had steps that you've been following that aren't really related to um to running and you've been hitting all those milestones really well but then it's like getting back into the arena where you used to be um in, in a new you know in a new you a new body a new um you know, you've actually got um, some new parts um, is can be can be um, I, I can understand could be, um, you know, that that's where the anxiety could really ramp up. So I am confident that you're with your attitude and with your, you know, your determination that you're going to be fine. But I know it's a hard it's a process you have to go through. And I'm, I'd be happy to go do some run walk with you as soon as you are cleared to do that. Thank you. That would be so awesome. I'm going to take you up on it. So how are you doing with your training? Um, it's going, <laughs> like trying to get, um, you know, motivated. I did this past weekend, I did back um, since the first time since COVID, the, um, our local RRCA uh, club challenge, which is a very challenging, I always forget how hard it is, 10 mile race all hills. It's either downhill or uphill. There is nothing in between. And it's actually mostly downhill the first five miles, mostly uphill the second five miles. And um, it, I, it's the last race I did before COVID. So it was in February of 2020, right before things shut down. Um, I did it. And um, our what I like about the race is that it's um, only scored by teams, pretty much. Um, uh, they don't give out, you know, age group awards or anything like that. It's by teams. So um, our club, the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club has an open male, open female, masters male and female and grandmasters, which is 50 plus, which you would actually be in this year, which is crazy to think of us as grandmasters. <laughs> I'll be there in a couple of years. But, and then um, grandmasters, men and women. And um, our, our, our club typically does very well in um, the masters and grandmasters categories in particular. And we've usually won. And again, we did come in first place this year, um, uh, the masters women team. Um, but as I was telling you earlier, before we got online, um, it was a tough race for me. I'll be honest. It was, um, you know, uh, and, and we talk about this a little bit with Justin of that kind of pre COVID versus post COVID comparison and, um, forgetting that it's been three years. So three years and three years for me at my age is a lot, 45 to 48. I know you've experienced this too. There, uh, you know, just kind of a lot of changes between 45 and 48. So, um, but I went into this, you know, kind of in my head with, um, always, you know, three years ago and prior to that could always come in on this race under 110. That was sort of my benchmark is just 109, usually 109 and um, usually place high for our, our team. And, um, and this time I was, I, I struggled a little bit and um, I felt good during the race, but, you know, I came up toward the finish line and saw I was hitting close to 112. And I, I, I really pushed that last stretch to try to get in a 111 at least. And I think I finished in 112 something. Um, so it was a little bit, um, and, and again, we talk about this with Justin when we have these kind of outcome goals and you set that for yourself and you don't hit it. Like it was a little, um, honestly, like a little disconcerting for me. And, and um, to, to our team's credit, we have an amazingly strong women's masters team. And a lot of them are new masters who just turned 40 or 41. So um, they, they are amazing runners. So instead of being at the top of our master's women finishers list, I was at the bottom of our master, not the bottom, but um, the way they score, they take six scores. So I was the sixth scorer for our team. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was definitely in awe of our, our strong women master's runners, um, but it's, it's, it's certainly, um, it can be a little bit of a mind 
a mind mess when you when you finish a race like that and it's um not exactly where you expected to finish and um you know and that was coming off of a race I had done um I did a 5k two weeks prior that I did really well that I won the women's overall I was really happy with my performance and feeling really good and then I did this race and was thinking oh no I'm like is something off with my training for Boston and, and how easy that is to let one race kind of define how you're thinking of um, yourself in a bigger picture as an athlete and as in, in, in terms of training. And you were very kind to point out to me before we started recording that there've been plenty of years in the past where I've had a tough race before Boston and then went to Boston and did really well. So it doesn't always reflect my fitness, but, but it's hard. It's, it was, it was hard. I left the race with kind of a feeling. It was just like, eh, like, you know, people said, Oh, you did great. Or how'd you do? And I was just like, eh, wasn't feeling very excited about it. And once I had a little space from the race and was able to look at, um, you know, I did, I felt like I executed it. Well, I did feel strong throughout. I didn't fall off like, you know, too badly anywhere. Um, you know, when I looked at it that way and I kind of plugged in the numbers to see what it extrapolates to a marathon finish time, I'm still within my range of what I think is my, you know, marathon target. So I was able to kind of step back. And when I look at, you know, the field of runners, it's a such a fast field of runners. So that can also comparison can make you um, skew your, your perception of yourself. So once I had a few days to step away from it, I'm feeling good about it, but um, looking forward to some opportunities between now and Boston to maybe get out and race again and, and just up my confidence a little bit. Well, first of all, I appreciate you sharing because I think it's always comforting for folks to hear about situations where you're not you know, always feeling great about races. We both share our, our successes and our struggles. And I, I think it's so relatable what you just shared. And a couple of things that come to mind when you share this is, um, you know, the phrase, you're only as happy as your least happy child. I feel like that translates to racing. I feel the same way. I can have a great race, which you did two weeks ago, you won. And then the next race, it's like, it wasn't what you feel was your best race, but you're focused on that because that was your last race. And that makes perfect sense to me. I totally understand. One thing about this um, training cycle, though, that I want to point out that we haven't really talked about, but just something to note is we've had a really mild winter. And what does that mean? It means that you and all of the other runners training in our area, and we're just talking about the DC area because um, it's an anomaly. We have gotten no snow, whereas other areas where our runners live, we coach have. Um, there haven't been probably any many days at all, Lisa, where you've had those breaks that we've had in previous winter training cycles where you haven't been able to run for a few days. You've really probably been able to, for the most part, stick to the running on your training cycle. And while you're very um, mindful about not running too much mileage, it's just something to think about is that you've been so consistent because of the weather and it's been very generous to us. And, and that's just something to think about. You've probably had more miles under your belt coming into this race than in past RRCA 10 milers. Um, and you've also done more cycling. So that's, I, that's the key. I, think. Of, I mean, that's something I thought about yeah. after is that I've been doing a lot of, um, cycling, indoor cycling, um, and, and racing. Cause I've joined a racing mm -hmm. team and we race usually once a week, sometimes twice a week. And last week I actually did twice a week racing. And the second one was on Saturday and I kind of knew, I thought, well, it's probably not a great idea the day before a 10 miler, but it's a short race. Like I'm used to doing the trainer, like it's fine. It'll be a good workout the day before. And I did wonder the next day, like, Hmm, should I? done that race yesterday. So I think I have to, and, and really, you know, along those lines, one of the um, women on my, on my uh, cycling racing team put up a post this week that I meant to screenshot and send to you because it's a really good reminder. She's just talking about the importance of 
um, recovery and 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 how much and, and we've talked about this with our um, you know we talked about this before uh, with our on our with our guest who did a Zoom call with us, um, Aisha Rafa'i, our mental skills um, guest that we had, that our bodies can only handle so much stress. And her point of her post was she sees a lot of teammates doing a lot of signing on Zwift. It's very easy to sign up for races every day. I mean, you could sign up for 10 races a day. There's there are races all day long, every day long, um, 24 hours because there are people in other time zones on Zwift. So it's very easy to go onto Zwift every day and say, oh, look, a race, I wanna do it. Oh, look, a race or sign up with our team. I want to join this race. I want to join this race. And our bodies cannot, our bodies need the recovery. And that when you add that um, stress of racing and hard workouts on top of life stress, which can be kids and families and other things going on and maybe not getting enough sleep, that our bodies will start to break down and we'll start to see our performance decline. And we'll wonder why is my performance declining where maybe it's that we're doing too much. So I did, when she put that up, I really had to stop. And she actually put it up right after my 10 mile race. And after I'd done the race on Saturday and done the 10 mile race and I was like, oh, guilty. Like I kind of put my head down in shame and thought like, yeah, I need to really watch. I, I get, you get, we get excited and we get like, wow, I wanna do this and I wanna do that and I wanna do everything. But um, I think once we start to see that it's not helping our performance that maybe it really sinks in that we've got to um, uh, you know, really be mindful that our bodies can't take all of that stress, um, the physical stress, mental stress, and especially as we get older, need more recovery. So it's a good reminder. And yes, yeah, so your point too, being that, you know, gotten in a lot of miles and haven't had to take a lot of breaks and um, have a lot going on in life. And it's, it, you know, it, it could certainly be taking its toll. So, um, Absolutely. so and onward, onward is what onward. I said. I was gonna, onward. I was going to say though, that's a good point with respect to the Zwift. I think it's also applicable to, there was a lot of folks who use Peloton and I, I, I use Peloton as well. And it's very easy to squeeze in a few workouts here and there. And because we are runners, um, we, we don't always correlate those little bits of cycling and those workouts to even at all be commensurate with an easy run. It's much, it feels easier. It's a much shorter time, but all that stuff cumulatively adds up. And, and to your point, a little ride here or there doesn't affect you day to day, but maybe in a race it might. So yeah. yeah. And something else that she had mentioned in this post that I'm referencing really um, resonated with me and something I think is very helpful for runners and our runners as well. Um, she talked about the importance of zone two training. And she said, you know, I do, a, she does a lot of zone two training and that's that very easy aerobic, you know, very easy, very unexciting um, training. And she said, what that helps her do is that tune into her body. And that if she goes to do a zone two ride and sh her heart rate's high, she knows, and it feels hard in that easy day, she knows that her body's working too hard. She said those zone two workouts are so important to her as a gauge for her body. Cause we can't always gauge when we're racing, when we're racing hard or doing hard workouts, we can't always gauge how our body's feeling that we can, when we just dial in a zone two easy effort. And if that, if your heart rate's a little bit high during that, or it feels a little bit hard during that, it's a good sign to your body. So it's really, we talk about the importance of easy running. It's the same thing. Those easy runs, in addition to being aerobic development and, 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 you know, letting our bodies recover for the hard workouts, they give us a chance to dial into how we're feeling. Um, and I think that was a really important part. So um, just another reminder of why those easy um, and easy long runs are really important because we've got to be listening to our bodies. Absolutely. We talk about it all the time, almost every episode, but I got to say our last episode, when we brought up 
the importance of not running in the gray zone and running easy. One of our runners reached out and said, please keep talking about it, reminding me, because as I was listening to your podcast, I looked at my watch and I was running too fast. <laughs> so we'll keep talking about it. We know it's something that everyone can improve on. And truly it's, it's, it really makes you such a more efficient, smarter, faster runner when you're able to run as easy as possible on your easy days. And again, we won't be a dead horse, but we will probably talk about this again. Um, so we're really excited this week to welcome back a wonderful guest, Dr. Justin Ross. He's a Denver-based clinical sports psychologist, and he helps athletes all over the world to develop high-performing skills aimed at peak performance. Justin was on our podcast a while ago. He was in our guest on episode 35, which is dated March 5th, 2020. So we talk about what that was like recording and, and how his practice has changed. And of course, how our lives have changed since then. But um, back then we were talking to Justin about preparing for Boston 2020, which we know never happened. So we welcome Justin back. Um, Justin is someone who's a seasoned Boston marathoner, and he is on the podcast today to talk about some troubleshooting that runners often encounter, some problems that runners often encounter specifically in marathons, but in training and racing, and he provides some guidance and tools that we can employ right now. So on race day, we are ready to perform. And he also touches on a new product that he's developed that is really amazing. And we'll let him talk about this tool and we're going to link it in the show notes, but basically it offers runners an opportunity to um, download five minute snippets of advice and guidance on a daily basis for 12 weeks to train your brain to run your best race. And it's, it's, it's the same idea as how we talk about nutrition, training your gut so that on race day, your stomach isn't surprised by the fuel that you're putting in your body. So this is kind of the same idea, but Justin just gave such invaluable insight and information. And we actually think we'll probably have him back another time to talk more because there were so many topics that we touched on today that really struck a chord with both of us. And we have no doubt that we could dig deeper into some of those topics and talk about them all day long. But this is a really great episode. And we know we say this a lot, this is a really great episode, but this is another one that we really hope everyone has a chance to listen to. It will only benefit all runners, not just marathoners with the advice and wisdom that he shares. I think his, his advice applies to life as well. So I went, as we were talking, I was thinking, well, this is a good approach to, you know, just other, other areas of life as well. And what I really like about his um, plan that he's developed with training peaks is um, we're all used to following a training plan, following a calendar, checking it off, getting it accomplished. And that's exactly the format he's used for this is it's a training plan. It's in a calendar. It's on training peaks, which is not the um, platform that we use, but it's certainly anybody can, um, can access it. And it's very similar to, you know, it's a, it's a training log. And instead of a running workout on that particular day, you have a five minute um, mental skills workout and you can accomplish it and check it off green check mark, just like your um, just like your, your running workouts. And I, I think that because we're all kind of in that mindset anyway, for me, at least that would be a lot easier than sitting down and reading a book or watching a, a video or, um, you know, it's just actually having that exercise to do every day. So that's what I really like that he's tapped into that, um, kind of format that we're already used to and put in, um, these really important mental skills that we could all benefit from. Absolutely. So without further delay, here is Dr. Justin Ross. Have a great week, Lisa. You too. Hi. Hi. Justin Ross, welcome back. 
to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. I should say I stand corrected, Dr. Justin Ross. <laughs> um, you were on our podcast a while ago. I believe it was episode 35 in March 2020, which is crazy. So we're so happy to see you. And um, we just, for those who may not know you, we'd want to start off and just ask you to share a little bit about yourself, including where you live, your professional background, and your running background. Well, it's it's so good to be back. Thanks for having me back on the show. And yeah, last time we talked, it was it was like the sneeze before the pandemic. And so the whole world is has changed since our last meeting. Um, so yeah, super excited to be back and, and to chat with you all today. So yeah, my name is Dr. Justin Ross. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I specialize in human performance. So I spend a big bulk of my time working with athletes, whether that's um, you know professional athletes across all disciplines, uh, but really my passion is working with endurance athletes, um, again, across disciplines, runners, cyclists, triathletes, uh, mainly because that's the world that I relate to the most um, as an individual. So I've got um, kind of a, I've bounced around in my endurance career. I, I kind of started riding bikes just recreationally and then riding bikes turned into doing triathlons. And then I heard about this thing called the Boston Marathon. And so I, I wanted to qualify for that. And I did that for a bunch of years in a row. And and then truthfully, COVID hit and I was running every day. Um but I, I sort of lost my my passion for running and I needed to do something else. And so I got back on the bike um, and I've just really been spending my time cycling. So last year I rode the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race uh, for the first time um, and just have kind of been focused on on cycling these days. So um, that's kind of my, my endurance background. Well, we're also big fans of cycling. My, um, I have uh, two kids who are youth cycle, junior cyclists, they're older junior cyclists now. So, um, but see a lot of crossover in the um, kind of the uh, challenges, the mental challenges and, and training um, and, and performance for, for cyclists too. So yay for cycling. Um, so we're, we're glad you're doing that. It's great cross training. And I think we can also both relate to, and we see with our runners that, um, kind of our momentum was sort of interrupted by COVID. And a lot of people have not gotten back into that, um, you know, the racing or maybe what they were doing before. So that's maybe something we can touch on later, but kind of getting that, um, you know, that uh, momentum or that mojo or that kind of competitive edge back. A lot of us kind of just enjoyed having a few years of of just, you know, just running or cycling for for health and for fitness and um, getting back into that um that racing mindset has been, I know for me personally, it was a challenge um, last year, getting back into racing and just getting my mind back into it um, was, was certainly um, a, a challenge. Um, and um, so, so like we said, the last time we spoke was, we were just reflecting on this was, um, you know, we were at, we were speculating whether or not Boston would be, uh, would go, would go off in April of 2020. And as we know, um, it didn't. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, the last few years for you and working with athletes and how, um, how has your approach um, to, to working with athletes changed and what, what changes have you seen in athletes over the last few years? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting, right. To observe this, this impact and this disruption on, on all of us. And what initially hit was this deep concern around not having events to train for. Right. And, the, and the truth is so many endurance athletes, we we orient our lives and our schedules and our calendars and our years around certain events. And it anchors a lot of time, but it also anchors a lot of meaning. 
right? So I can look forward to April and that's a really meaningful event for me to go and run Boston. And then often it's, and then I can look towards the fall and I can anchor towards a meaningful fall race. And when that collapsed, it was, it, what collapsed with it was often this sense of purpose, drive and meaning for people. It left a lot of people scrambling like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? And so at this, at first it was this confusion that led to a lot of reaching and trying to figure it out. And I think what a lot of people landed on was reconnecting to to joy of movement for the purpose of movement, right? That's how I found my way back into cycling is, oh, this is, I forgot how fun this was. This is really enjoyable. And it's an adventure to go out and to explore a little bit. And it doesn't have to be attached to it needing to be rigid and focused in training. It can be movement and exercise. I also saw this, this great, you know, one of the, the, the hard parts of the disruption was the impact on all of us. But one of the beauties was the ingenuity and the creativity that emerged from a deep human perspective. So all of these cool things popped up for people, right? These, these races on your own or these challenges on your own or these working with your teammates and your friends to do something that you wouldn't normally do. And then, you know, where we're at now is we've kind of reemerged back into a sort of a traditional racing calendar, right? Events are back, they're happening at regular cadence, at regular rhythm. And what I'm seeing happen now is some people are are really connected back into that and they've they've fallen back into that flow. Other people are still questioning if that's what they want to do. Like, I'm not sure if I want to race. Like, does it, does it mean something for me to go and take on these challenges? Do I have to go after a PR? I'm not sure. So there's still a, a bar, part of this that's conf- confusing for people. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I think that's a genuine human reaction to what's happening. And, um, and there could be shame that people have about that, right? Because I think so much of how athletics work is like, I'm supposed to just like go after these events and hit a PR and chase these things. And some people are like, ah, I don't know if that's what it means to me anymore. So I think we have a duty, you know, individually as teams, as communities to have these conversations. You really raise a great point because so many folks identify in running by their achievements and by their times. And of course, for several years, that was taken away. And then finding the joy was replaced that, which is wonderful. But now races are back and folks are trying to reconcile the balance of the joy with who they were before, which is I'm a blankety blank marathoner or my PR is this. And I believe you can have both, Mm -hmm. but it takes, I think, someone like you sometimes to help people have both. So what do you say to those who are in that struggle where they want to have both and they're finding that at this point they have neither? Yeah. Well, often it's the struggle to have both that squashes both, right? And it's it's almost like, like trying to be happy creates unhappiness. Right. And so it's more about connecting to to the basic building blocks of joy. What are the things that help you feel connected, whether that's in, in just in terms of movement? Right. I feel really good when I can get outside and move my body every day or when you're feeling connected to a community. I, it feels great for me to connect to my running club or my neighbors or my friends. And we go out and we do these things. So getting back to the fundamental building blocks of where we all started is really important. I often reference my, my kids, right? So my kids are 11 and, and eight. And when they run or they bike, they're not slapping a garment on anything. They're just like out in front of the house or in the backyard, ripping around. 
And, you know, maybe they're trying to beat one another or race the neighbors or whatever, but, you know, it's all about being present in that moment. And so that present focus is a, is a huge element to this joy connection as well. And Justin, is that um, also that joy and that kind of connecting to that then play into performance? And, you know, for those who are getting back into racing, does that, uh, you know, we talk about just finding our joy and, and we talk to our runners a lot about that, of like what's going to make you happy, what goal is going to make you happy, but how does that also then play into performance? Yeah, well, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, in order to perform well, to perform optimally, it has to be based on a foundation of joy. Now, when, when we start, I'll, I'll often really, you know, ask people, is, is the foundation joy or is the foundation fear? Because those two things set up very different, different building blocks for people. When, when the foundation is joy, you can build on that challenge right? Like running or any sport is based on a challenge, right? And pursuing goals is a reflection of being able to challenge your athletic development, your physiological development, your ability to withstand discomfort, right? There's, there's challenge, there's curiosity, there's excitement about that. When the foundation is fear, often outcome is attached to identity, right? I am only okay if I run a blah, blah, blah time, or if I PR, or if I qualify. And then when we, when we operate from fear, a lot of even our basic runs are, oh gosh, I have to, I have to do it right. Right. I have to hit the mark. I have to hit the time. I have to hit the splits or else that means something. And that's a joy robber. Right. So I'll often start this conversation with people. It's like, let's go back to the, are, are you operating from a place of joy and love? Or are you operating from a place of fear? Because those foundations are going to really dictate how everything works, even on a, on a micro daily basis as you approach your, your training schedule. Yeah, that's a really good, a good point. And a good thing, a good point of self-reflection for people. I think a lot of us don't know where, where are we coming from? Are we coming from joy? And has the the fear, have the fear and joy kind of like merged, you know, um, I get a lot of joy out of performing because I have a fear of not hitting that certain time. So is that, you know, is that, I think that um, somebody like you can really help, um, you know, help people think through that and really, really identify. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, um, you have a new tool um, that's available on Training Peaks and it's a training program, correct? Mm -hmm. For for just like you follow a running training plan or a strength training plan, it's a training program to, to train our minds, to help us think through some of these things. So talk to us a little bit about that and sort of the origins of that, how you came up with it and how it how it can help supplement um, uh, you know, runners, their, their physical training. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been noodling on this idea for for years, right? Of what's, what is the best way for people to have access to skills to train the mental side of performance, right? And, you know, I thought about writing a book and that just didn't seem like the right format. And I thought about doing like a YouTube thing, but that doesn't really jive with how I operate in the world. And so I thought, all right, maybe the best place is like a static training plan on training peaks. So I was on Dirk Friel's uh, podcast last year and they're up in Boulder and I'm in Denver. So we're close. And um, we were talking about just the, the absence of that type of model in their platform. And so I, you know, I kind of pitched it to him first. I'm like, what if I came up with this idea kind of 12 weeks Wait, that before, sort of fits before people, oh, yeah. um, can you explain who that is just for those who may not know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so Dirk Friel is uh, one of the co-founders of training peaks um, he's, you know, a former, former professional cyclist, 
um, still is like one heck of a master's racer um, and is really, you know, really at the forefront of, of this idea of like embedded training. Right. So they created training peaks a number of years ago and um, and they've really come a long way. They have trained heroic, which does a lot of strength based stuff, but there's no actionable way for for mental skills or performance psychology. So, you know, I, I kind of pitched this idea to him on what if we came up with a static plan that tries to cover the basics? It, it's challenging. Right. Because what what we know is everybody's just a little bit different. Every sport is a little bit different. And when you're training for a race, you have like a sequence of, of physiological things that you go through, right? Over 12, 16, 20 weeks. The mental game is sort of similar, right? And so I created this plan in Training Peaks under that, that very um, under that very framework, right? The idea that there's foundational skills that you can think about year round. There's, there's mental skills, high performance cognitive skills you can work on developing in your training plan on a daily basis to help you optimize this. There, there's things to, to prepare your mind for as you get ready for a peak event. And then there are ways to think about your performance after the event is done. So it's, it is a bit static. Um, it's about five minutes a day of embedded content, things you can read, things you can engage in, exercises, you can make the box turn green, you know, the whole bit. Um, and so it really came out of this place of uh, just really wanting athletes to understand that their mind is a highly trainable skill and, and there's a way to go about this. That's awesome. So we use final surge, which is similar, of course, to mm -hmm. training peaks, but it sounds like something that can be either web-based or, or on a de desktop where you can engage with this tool just five minutes a day, um, yeah. for 1999, no, I'm just kidding, but how, how much is it? And, um, how does it work? Um, you, you just download it and start whenever you want, or do you, do you yeah. recommend starting it with a tra specific training cycle for a race? Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned final surge. I, I was talking to, to Mario Freoli the other day about this as well, and he uses final surge as well. And so he was like, Hey man, why don't you put this on final surge? And I'm like, yeah, probably a pretty good idea. And so I, I can, I, I spoke with the folks at final surge um, and it's a pretty easy, uh, a pretty easy thing for me to do. So I will probably do that to make it more accessible to your athletes and Mario's athletes and others using that platform. It'll be very similar for those on training peaks. Um, you know, it's a one-time purchase that you then own forever. Once you purchase it, you can decide when you want to start it on your calendar and it'll just load onto your calendar Every day, then we'll have content for you. Again, there's some like blog post things on these ideas, but then training exercises to engage in um, that you track and you take notes and you watch this development take place. Okay, and not like, to go weeds, but just let me ask one more question. <laughs> yeah. And can coaches purchase it? Like, could Lisa and I purchase it and and dump it into our plans for our runners? So the way we have our plans right now, we have a run, a strength training workout, um, maybe mm -hmm. a mobility workout for one day on a calendar. Would it be possible in the future to have your product be something else that we could put into the calendar for a five minute work workup? I, I think so, right? I, I think so. That would be, you know, I would need to look at the the nuances for both how Final Surge does it on the coaching side and then how Training Peaks does it on the coaching side. But those are great questions that that I'll dig into and get a better understanding for. Yeah, I think I could see too somebody uh, like a runner of ours, if they want that program, then they buy the, you know, the 12 week training program and they can, like you said, they can start it and finish it. They can set a starting date that coincides with our starting date or whenever they, they start it. So, I mean, if it doesn't, I, it, I would think that a, 
that a plan like yours doesn't have to sync up exactly with the, you know, the workouts, maybe they want it to end close to their race date, um, but it doesn't have to sync up in a, in a certain um, particular format. But what I like, and I think, I think athletes will like, is like you said, it, it's that sense of accomplishment. Like we are, we get a lot of runners who say, I want you to put my strength training in so I can see it's green. I check it off. I do yeah. it and I get the green check. Um, so I, I think that that's a great, um, what you've done is a really, um, other, you know, there are lots of books and like you said, there are videos and there are other ways to, to go about this, but I think playing into the athlete's mind that we like to see that we have an assignment for the day and we check it off, um, is, is something that's really, really helpful. Yeah, I, I think so too. And again, like, like one of the first things we have in week one is like, is the foundation love or fear? right? To help people understand that because it does create, like when you get to the idea of when you get down the road and now we're three weeks out and we're building mental toughness, right? Actually mental toughness is built well in advance, but if the foundation is love, you have a different access point than if the foundation is fear. And so the idea of over 12 weeks, really working to link these skills together to build a cohesive is, is ultimately what I'm trying to teach here. We love it. And, and this is something that's really important to us, um, not only as athletes ourselves, but also as coaches. And, and recently we had um, a mental skills professional do a workshop with our Boston Marathon runners and marathon runners um, one night. And we we felt like it was something that it, it, even if someone took one thing away from it, they benefited from it. And right. everyone has different needs and comes from a different place, but we all can work on our mental muscle. So this option, Lisa and I know it would it, it would really benefit our runners because of the way we work and the way we use Final Surge. We have no doubt it would be a benefit. So we can talk more offline, but thank you yeah. for sharing that. <laughs> and we want to also talk about um, specifically because this is a Boston Marathon focused podcast. Um, assuming that those who are training for Boston right now obviously don't have the time or the ability to don't download a 12-week mental skills training plan, they have about six weeks to go. So we wanted to pick your brain, if you don't mind, and just talk about some common mental issues that runners encounter pre-race and during a race and how they can troubleshoot them. So we're just going to yeah. ask the question and, and we just want to hear just a couple of suggestions for each one. The first yeah. one, we're going to go in the category of pre-race issues that are common. First one is pre-workout anxiety. You have a workout on the calendar that you're super nervous about and you work yourself up the night before and you can't sleep. Yeah. What do you think? hundred percent common and we need to start there. So, so one big broad picture back anxiety is the most common human mental health experience that we all have. Every single one of us walking around the planet is going to feel anxiety at some point. Now, now here's the work around anxiety. I'm going to bring up a new, a new way to think about it. Anxiety is a sign that you care about something. Let's start there. So anxiety shows that something is important to you, right? And what happens for athletes, myself included, when we see something on the calendar that, that looks hard, there's a few things that click into place. One, we care about it. Two, it feels like there's a little bit of uncertainty. Oh, I'm not sure how this is going to go, right? Uh, the third is it feels like it's maybe challenging and a little bit out of control. Like, whew, those paces look tough. That looks like a tough workout. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get on top of that. 
Now, the last one is the one that really is the tipping point. It's the degree to which that feels like it's a threat compared to which it feels like it's a challenge. Now, again, it goes back to the foundation of love or fear. If if it feels threatening, not only that I'm not going to be able to knock this workout down, but oh my gosh, that means my race is in jeopardy. I'm not going to be successful. And oh my gosh, my identity is on the line if I don't hit these splits. It's a whole different can of worms. Then if it's from a base of love, like, holy cow, this thing's going to be hard. I'm going to let it rip and see what happens. And whatever happens, happens, but I'm going to give it a shot, right? So again, it's always this opportunity for awareness, right? If you're starting to feel anxious before a workout, that's a really good sign that you care about something. Your subsequent work is then to determine to what extent is this connected to it being a threat or a challenge? Threat is going to drive anxiety. Challenge is going to drive excitement right? Physiologically, they're very similar, but the interpretation really drives the experience differently. And then if it's coming from a place of threat, the work is how closely tied to my identity is this thing, right? Versus how much of a, of a joyful experience can this be for me? So I'm going to pause there. Thoughts or thoughts or reactions? Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, that's certainly a an important way to think about it. And I think that also then ties into kind of a related question of what about then after the workout? What if you go and you do that workout and you don't do great? And how do you then avoid the, my race is in jeopardy? Um, you know, how does that then translate to post-workout um, yep. thoughts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, a couple skills there. So one, I always call the the moment you hit stop on your Garmin or your your watch is how you put your workout away. And it's really important, again, as you go back to some of the basic skills that we start with, which are goals, right? And we have three ways to slice goals. We have outcome goals. We have performance standards. We have process goals. Performance standards are really important there. So what I always recommend for folks is if you if you start a cycle being really clear about what your performance standards are, these are things like how are you going to show up? How are you going to hold your attitude, your effort, and your energy level? Even when things go off the rails, right, that is going to be a, a really strong guide. So what will happen is, let's say the workout doesn't go well. You don't hit your splits, but you maintain the spirit of the workout, right? So let's call it a 10 by 800, right? My least favorite workout of all time running, um, but I also secretly loved it at the same time. Plenty of times I hit the splits, plenty of times I didn't, but I always did 10 reps at 800, and I always engaged in the spirit of the workout because... I knew that that was going to build self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is this underlying belief system that we have what it takes to be successful ultimately. So when we cut it short because we're not hitting our splits and we're angry and we're frustrated and we stop at four and we don't do all 10, we're not giving our body the physiological adaptation or stress that it needs to adapt. And we're not also giving our mind the self-efficacy that yeah, we can do hard things and stay in the spirit. We can stay in the pocket even when the splits fall away because that spirit is what's going to carry us forward, right? So, so much of this work is in the how, how you're showing up, how you're doing the work and how you're reminding yourself of that. So to cap that then at the end of that workout, if you can walk away and as you put your workout away in your mind, have this little checklist of holy smokes, that was tough, but I stayed with it right? I didn't let my spirit dip. I, I, I matched the spirit of the workout by staying with it. Splits were what they were. I hit them. I didn't hit them. It doesn't matter, right? The spirit of your energy in that moment is critical for how you carry that forward. 
Yeah, I think that too, that kind of touches on the controllables. Like we can't always control exactly what time we're going to hit on that watch. We, you know, we can try, but um, lots of factors can come into play and you just might not hit that, that, that time goal, maybe somewhat arbitrary, you know, just may not be that day, but you can control how you frame, you know, the, the attitude that you go in with and, um, and all of those, what we think as coaches are more important skills. Like we don't care if you're not hitting that exact time, but did you go in with the intention? Did you stay, stick with it? Were you um, dedicated to it? Did you, when it got hard, did you stay with it? Because all of those yeah. skills are going to be more important on race day than did you hit that split of that mile exactly on the, on the right time. So I like how you frame that because I think that what you're looking at is more important than a number on a watch. Absolutely. That's the part that translates. So when you show up to race day in the back of your mind, when you can rehearse like, Oh gosh, let, let me remind myself of all these moments in training where it was hard, but I did it anyway, because by the time you get to, you know, the hit Newton Hills or mile 20 or wherever you are going to start at some point to feel uncomfortable. And you need to have that mental muscle to draw upon that, that you've done hard things and you're going to do hard things again. So also turning efficacy on its head, there's, there's a corollary to it. And that is not beating yourself up when you have to end a workout early because you're not feeling well, because your body is screaming at you that day for some reason and recognizing that that too is part of a performance goal is balancing achieving the goal of a workout with listening to your body and making modifications, which is also a skill on race day. So I don't know if you have anything to speak to that, but I was just thinking about that when you were explaining performance skills, how many times have any of us had to abort a workout? It's not, doesn't mean we failed it. It's because we listened to our bodies. Yeah, that, that's huge, right? The ability to modify based on like real pain or illness or discomfort is a, is a skill that's listening to your body and responding appropriately. We, we don't need to punish our bodies, right? When, when it's going to cause irreparable damage or harm. So listening to that and then having the courage to not do the workouts really important. So like today's a great example for me. I, you know, I've, there's, I've got a lot of stuff going on um, with a house remodel project and I've got solar panels going in. They're finishing up like literally right now as we're speaking. Wow. Thanks Last for night, joining us like, today. <laughs> <laughs> last night was a late night with stuff and i was going to get up this morning you know at 5 a.m to get on the bike and do my workout five o'clock five o'clock hit and i was like uh-uh i'm sleeping i'm tired body needs rest and so i didn't bother right and i'm not going to beat myself up because of that i listened to my body it's what my body needed move on that's great. And and related, you know, another one we want to kind of throw at you, um, you know, you didn't do your workout, maybe you woke up and you look on Strava and you see all your buddies did their workouts and they, and they nailed them. How do you then, um, how do you, um, and what do you recommend for runners who are, are tied into social media and, and comparison and training groups and whatever, and they're looking around and they're seeing, oh, my training buddy did this or did something like that, or did these pieces, how do you, like, that's a big one for us is, you know, social media, Strava is as much as we love Strava and it's great and it keeps people motivated and we can, you know, monitor performance on train on, on uh, final surge or on Strava. How do you, how do you um, help athletes focus on their own performance and their own needs and their own listening to their own body and, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll often hear this cliche, right? There, there's this great quote. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt has this quote, comparison is the thief of joy, right? 
And yet what well, people will often say is then, well, then just stop comparing yourself to other people. And it's not possible. You can't do that. We Human beings are comparative by nature. So you're going to compare and that's okay. The degree to which you spend your time and your energy there is what matters most. Now, typically, um, comparison to others, again, it's it's a it, it points to something that we want or that we desire that we haven't been able to achieve. So on a day like that, when you go on Strava and somebody on Strava is having the day of their career on there, right? They've done something epic. They have this grand adventure. They have this big workout. Every day is like that on Strava. That can point to your own insecurities about what you weren't able to do that day. Now, the 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 trick is, again, being reminded that that is not a sign of your own deficiencies or weaknesses or lack of development or that your goals are in jeopardy. That's just a sign that Strava has a lot of data points of people doing really cool things, right? So it's not about not comparing, your, comparing yourself to others. It's about recognizing that that is a sign of something that, that, again, you care about, that you haven't been able to achieve, and yet your achievement doesn't need to follow what somebody else did on Strava today in order to ultimately be successful. We love that. And uh, similar, another issue with comparison is, of course, comparing yourself to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Inevitably, as we age, whether in running years or actual years, our time slow down. It's something we can't avoid. What counsel or advice do you give to your athletes about that so they can continue to find joy and and the joy of not just running, but also the competition in running without fixating on what their times used to be? Yeah, Th- this is actually another thing that I think has popped up a lot from COVID is, you know, people sort of are comparing current state to pre-COVID state because things have changed, right? And it's like, oh, I a lot of people, again, from that place of fear will orient to, I need to get back to my pre-COVID running times or aerobic rate times or outcome goal times, whatever. And it's causing a lot of, a lot of stress. I think the, the beauty, my opinion of, of sport, especially recreational endurance sport, is that we can be lifelong athletes. Now, the challenge of being a lifelong athlete is you have to go through seasons of change, recognizing that nothing is really static, right? It may feel static for maybe a couple of pockets at a time, whether that's months, sometimes years where we're running or riding consistently at the same rate, but inevitably that's going to change for one reason. We get faster, we get slower, whatever. Now, again, the extent to which we put our own self-judgment based on outcome is a big part of that work. Again, it's as much as we can getting back to joy. Can you reconnect to, to movement being joyful in and of itself? Feels good to be outside. Feels good to put on my running shoes. Feels good to be on my bike, right? If you can find your way back to that, then time, distance, mileage has less meaning, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I think um, kind of a corollary is that at least that I've noticed myself is that COVID was a good two or three years. And so for some of us, two or three years, it's it's pre-COVID versus post-COVID fitness, but it's also, you know, 45 years old versus 48 years old, which is a big, you know, is a big difference. So I think right. that that's really hard. And I've had to remind myself of that and, you know, look at um, the joy of being with people and in the running community again. And that's yeah. a great, even if our times aren't exactly the same as they were three years ago or four years ago, being back in the running community, I think that's a really great um, 
tip and pointer um, for, for, for that, because I think a lot of people are getting bogged down in the, in the, that, you know, that post COVID versus like when you're talking about the pockets before you kind of move through them. So it's like gradual, this was pretty, um, you know, it's market, you know, you saw, you know, the last time I did this race, I ran this, this time I ran this race, I did this, but it was three years apart because we didn't run it during COVID. So you didn't see that gradual change. So I think that's a, um, you know, we've seen even athletes who don't want to get, they have a fear of getting back to racing because they know they're not going to be where they were before COVID. And um, it's almost stymies them from, from getting back to racing where they might like to race just to be, you know, again, and back in the running community or doing what they love. Yeah. I, I often, you know, we'll, we'll, have people think about like there's a difference between racing and eventing and we can you know eventing isn't a word we usually use but you can participate in events and they don't all have to be races that define your identity and when we allow ourselves to do that we remind ourselves like events are really fun right it's really fun to be a part of a big group of people you know in in locations with medals and shirts and like all the stuff like there's something inherently joyful about that and your time doesn't have to define whether or not you enjoyed that experience so get into eventing doesn't always have to be racing yeah i was going to ask um speaking of eventing and racing um let's talk a little bit about how people feel right before a race so People are in the corrals or um, in Hopkinton for quite a long time, specifically mm-hmm. at Boston. And there, there's a lot of opportunity to really get nervous and anxious. And that, of course, as you mentioned earlier, can be used as a superpower. But realistically, it can really suck the adrenaline out of you, which you really need for race day. So what are some um, tools that you recommend for folks who are getting preparing for race day to practice now so that they're prepared during that time, which can be really nerve wracking? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the idea of what can you do now? Because your ability to be successful, like an hour before your race or your event starts now, right? And this is the trainability of your mind, your body, and your spirit. And so you can learn to regulate anxiety and stress every single day of your life. And the the hallmarks of that are recognizing that one, your breath is a tipping point for your body detecting threat. So even now, as you're listening, if you can just go to your breath and take, you know, a nice slow breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and you do that a time or two, oh, you just, this momentary sense of like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit more at ease. So your breath is always an anchor to guiding that experience. Now, the more you do that in your day-to-day life now, right? doesn't have to be a long meditation session, but some breath work, you know, once or twice a day, it's going to help your body recalibrate on a regular basis. You're going to be able to access that, you know, come the morning of your race or your event. That's part one. Part two is recognizing that what you pay attention to, your your cognitive focus is going to drive what comes next. So in one of the sports psychology skills that's embedded in the training plan is called attentional control. Right. And it's this learning that you have that you can you can send your energy, your focus, your concentration on the different things in the environment or internally. And that's going to dictate your experience. So if you're focused on your mind of all the things that could go wrong, of all the discomfort that's up ahead, of all the uncertainty you have about how you're going to how you're going to feel or how you're going to show up, of what the weather's going to do. 
right? You can like, oh boy, anxiety is going to be right behind that. If you can drive your mind towards self-efficacy, right, which we were just talking about, reminding yourself of the work that you put in, the time, the energy, the discipline, the effort, right, the spirit, and reminding yourself that you've done the work, you're prepared, and you're excited, that this is a joyous experience that's meant to be celebrated, not feared. If you drive yourself there, again, it changes the experience. So often the work in, in the corral is, one, enjoy it right? That's a special moment. You, you don't get a lot of moments like that. Enjoy the experience. Use your breath to anchor. Use your attentional control to remind yourself of the work and the effort and the discipline that you put in. Remind yourself of the excitement and the challenge, not the threat and the anxiety that's going to unfold over the next few hours. And like you said, those are all important things to start working on now, just so that it becomes reflexive by the time you get to the corral, you don't want to be scrambling to try to come up with these strategies while you're standing right. in the corral. So that's why it's important to do something like, you know, like the training plan that you've laid out, um, the 12 week training plan to really start to ingrain it. Just like we've talked to our runners about nutrition. We don't start nutrition training. You know, right. we don't say just try it on race day or the week before we're trying it now and we're trying to get our bodies used to it. And our bodies are physiologically adapting to that nutritional strategy. It's a, it's the, it's the same thing. Having done Boston, um, you've done Boston. So you've been there. What mm -hmm. do you think are the biggest mental challenges that might be specific to Boston for runners that are going to Boston? What should they anticipate could be the you know, the, the feelings that they have and the, and the anxieties that they might develop specific to Boston? So I, I think that there's a couple. One is Boston is a peak experience for people and we need to start there. This is the pinnacle of marathon running for the recreational amateur, right? And so for many people, you know, qualifying and getting there, it was for me huge, so meaningful and so important. But, but then the race itself sort of tips over and feels like it, it has more meaning because of that, right? And so there's this like extra pressure we feel on the race itself. My personal opinion is I think so many people want to just crush Boston. They want to go in and have the race of their lives. And I think I really try to recommend people you use Boston as a celebration event, as a celebration experience. You work so hard to get there. And yes, train hard and train well, but make this less about an outcome goal. Make this about an experience. Enjoy the race. Enjoy the crowds, right? Enjoy all these key markers along the way that you know so much about. And don't get bogged down by just putting your head down and focusing on your splits. The first time I ran Boston was 2017 and it was a, it was a really hot year. And I had, you know, like I had all these ideas like, okay, I, I would love to perform well, but if I don't, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this experience. Cause I don't know if I'm ever going to get it again. So I went out 5k race pace and my heart rate was way too high. It was way too hot. I'm like, you're going to shut that down. I'm just going to enjoy the experience. So I did. And it was like my slowest marathon in probably the last decade by outcome. Didn't matter to me. I enjoyed it. I got to the finish line and all I wanted to do was to talk to anybody that wanted to have a conversation. Like, where are you from? Tell me about your experience. This is incredible. We did it. Ah, right. The whole bit to celebrate that experience. And at the finish line, there were so many people who were just absolutely crushed and devastated. And so I was having these conversations and I'm like, well, what's up? Like, why are you so upset? And so many people said, well, I didn't requalify for Boston. 
And we're like, well, you're like the, the finish line's like, right. You're in Boston. Like, but the finish line's right there. You were just here. What do you mean? You're upset. You didn't requalify. You just missed the past few hours because you were so focused. And that devastation was profound. And it really, it really impacted me, not only as a runner, but as a sports psychologist to see how powerful that moment is. So it just really encouraged people. Yes. Train hard, enjoy it. But let the magic of Boston be something you celebrate and you experience and don't feel like you have to go out there and have this amazing outcome goal in order for it to count. Yeah, you you really hit, hit touched on something and that is, and this can be a whole separate conversation. So many runners truly identify by times and, and wrapped up in that, of course, is requalifying for this race. And so mm-hmm. trying to separate that um, is, is a great skill because of course, on a day like 2017, when the weather affects you and you have to slow your roll and you refuse to do so because you're trying to requalify, that's going to create a miserable experience rather than adjusting as we talked about before and looking at the efficacy of your performance goals. Um, that being said, realistically, even when enjoying a race like Boston, things can happen along the course. Mm -hmm. So what tools do you advise people to work on right now? in anticipating that perhaps you hit a place where you experience cramping, nausea, um, something that is physical, but then can lead to a mental breakdown. What tools do you recommend people employ during those times, other than, of course, tools to address the actual physical situation? Yeah. So what one of the key ingredients is just called psychological flexibility, right? And, and what we know, again, anxiety is often generated based on being really rigid in your mind right? Having a, a narrow way that things ought to be or should be or need to be. And so the more rigid we are, the more narrow we are, the more likely we're going to feel anxiety if we deviate from that from that plan. So psychological flexibility is going into the race, knowing that hey, you're, you're about to embark on a 26-mile journey. And a lot of that is going to be outside of your control. Things happen. And you, from a psychological standpoint, not only have the resources to handle whatever setback that may be, you'll figure it out, but also that you're not going to let that completely rob you of having a meaningful experience, right? And again, I think that's the tipping point. We, we lock into this idea, like, it's only a meaningful, joyous experience if, and that if is often based on a very narrow time goal, which is usually faster than before. And so it's, I get it because I was a type A runner once too, and I totally understand that. And yet we have to understand that that framework can really set us up for a lot of angst and psychological pain and anguish. Um, And so that flexibility in mind and spirit up front is really important. Yeah. We like to tell people the 26.2 miles will take most of us at least three hours. And that's a long period of time. So you could go through, you know, a couple of minutes of feeling really down and not to let that then define the rest of your race, because that you could turn that around or that could change or, you know, whatever factor it is that's coming into play that doesn't need to define the the rest of your race. And, and, And the odds are that in a three plus hour, three, four, five hour journey out there, there are going to be sometimes at least a few minutes that are not um, pleasant or are challenging. And um, we've seen it firsthand. We always like to give this story. It's from many years ago, but we had two different marathoners doing two different marathons and they both had similar goals to qualify for Boston, um, similar time goals. And uh, one went in and 
got to mile, I forget, probably like mile 20 and realized she wasn't at her, going to hit her goal time. She wasn't going to recall, wasn't going to qualify for Boston. And um, she got angry and she started thinking, well, forget it. You know, it's all out the window. And then she said, she got mad at herself and said, no, I trained too hard for this. I'm going to fight for it. And she ended up having a PR, not a BQ, but a PR and proud of her performance. And then we had another runner running a separate race who about mile seven thought this feels hard. This doesn't feel like my day. It feels hard. And she, when she reported back to us about her race, she said, I knew at mile seven, it was going to be a sucky day. And it was just, it was, it was going to be a sucky race. And she just wrote it off at mile seven and she's had a sucky race and she just had a terrible race and felt terrible about it at the end. So as two people had similar, you know, at some point in the race, a similar thought of like, uh oh, this sucks. And one said, okay, the rest of this race is going to suck. And this is just a sucky day. And the other one said, no, I can, you know, change, turn this around. And they both, neither of them qualified for Boston in that, in that race, but they both came away feeling very differently. One felt like that was a disaster. And one felt like, no, I actually fought for that. And I did well. I still got a PR. I didn't get a BQ, but she felt really proud of the race. So we like to tell that story of, you know, two similar uh, you know, things that happened during a race and, and two totally different outcomes based on how they approached it, um, you know, in the moment. And, and like you said, you know, having that mental flexibility to say, okay, this maybe isn't exactly what I planned, but I'm going to figure out how to make the best of it. That, that's it. I mean, the, the power of thinking in that moment and perception is critical and embedded in there is that, that performance standard, right, that you try to develop now. And at the beginning of any training plan, what are the performance standards that you're going to default to no matter what? If it feels easy, you can still default to this performance standard of, well, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to fight for it. And I'm going to, I'm going to maintain the spirit of this. If it feels hard, well, I'm going to fight for it and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to maintain the spirit of this, right? Whatever that performance standard is, it gives you that place to default to no matter what. And again, I think about like, think about if we woke up every single day in our lives, and the first thought was, this is hard, this sucks, this is going to be a terrible, awful day. Guess how your day is going to go, right? And stuff's going to break down, stuff's not going to go right, you know, but the ability to rebound from that and say like, well, yes, and like, maybe it wasn't what I wanted it to be, but I also can steer how I think and how I feel and get something meaningful out of this, right? Racing is the same thing or eventing is the same thing. We're going to use that word, Lisa. Eventing. Eventing. <laughs> I like it. So can I, can I be self-indulgent for a few minutes and, and just talk to you about, um, returning to running after injury and the psychological, mm. um, so as I mentioned, um, offline, I, I tore my ACL in, in November and had surgery. I'm doing really well with my rehab and that's great. Um, but soon I'm going to be told that I can return to, um, walk run. I know I will. And there's a part of me right now where I, I'm not excited about that because right now my benchmarks have nothing to do with running. So it's, it's very um, satisfying. Like I can, I move through PT really well. I'm doing a lot of strength training. I'm doing very well. But once I return to running, I inevitably will not feel the same way because of course, I will not be running even nearly the same as I was before for quite some time. So what guidance do you have for folks like me who are returning to running from injury to manage that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry about the setback. And like we said, right before the call started, um, being injured sucks. 
period. Like it's really hard. And we, we have sort of a psychological framework that we use in helping people through the injury process. So let me start there, broad picture, and then we'll, we'll come to those specifics. So three timeframes of injury and injury recovery that are both sort of physiological, but also psychological in nature. So the first is what we call like the acute injury phase, right? And this is when you first get injured and you first have that setback. And often psychologically what's there is there's a lot of anger and frustration um, and a lot of internalization about what happened. A lot of fear about goals being missed, a lot of fear about impact on your life, right? So that stage is always met with, okay, like let's figure out what's going on. So let's get a diagnosis, let's get a treatment plan, let's start to get this thing squared away, right? That, that phase is psychologically disruptive, right? The second phase is sort of the treatment phase, right? And this is where, okay, like you have a diagnosis and you're working on a treatment plan, whatever that may be. Maybe that's surgery, maybe that's PT, maybe that's some time off, but you have a roadmap of what's to come. Now, often this place like you're talking about is sort of like the most um, psychologically safe. Um, it's not great. I don't mean to mean it's great, but you've gotten through that acute hump. The frustration has worn off a little bit. You've settled on the understanding of, okay, like, here's what I need to do. Now, like most ambitious, hardworking athletes, when we have that training plan, we're like, sweet, I have something I can work on, right? So I can work on my range of motion. I can work on my strength. I can do my PT exercises. It feels good to check those boxes, right? Now, the third phase is arguably the most difficult psychologically. This is the return to sport phase. And it's often the one that gets misconstrued the most because the public will be like, hey, Julie, this is awesome. You're getting back. That's got to feel great, right? And you're like, no, 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 no. There's actually more anxiety in the third stage than the other two. And it's often for these reasons. One is there's um, this comparison that can occur, right? And we often have this sort of pre-injury comparison that we want to get back to because it's how we know ourselves as athletes. Well, I'm used to running this kind of pace and this kind of mileage. And so now I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get back to that or when. So you want me to run how slow and for how limited time? That feels really weird. So that anxiety can start there. There's often this anxiety as well about getting re-injured or about worsening the injury. Like I'm really afraid that I'm going to, you know, like make it worse or screw it up or be back in the pocket of this cycle again. So I can be a little bit hesitant. And at some point when you get sort of farther down that road, once there starts to be races or events, that's where that anxiety can really spike. Like I should, I, I don't know like what the line is. Should I hold myself back? Should I really go for it? What's that balance between trusting that I'm really healed versus being afraid that I'm going to make it worse? So that's the, the broad overview. What are your thoughts on, on that idea so far? Uh, you perfectly summed up my feelings about it all, 100% especially because I'm in the phase right now where I am doing all the work as an athlete and treating my recovery as a sport. And it's pretty yep. not, it's hard that physically, but easy mentally right now, I think. Yeah. And you're in this like two to three kind of range. You're like in the second phase, moving into that, into that third phase. So, so often again, the work psychologically in that third phase, what we'll have people do is we'll, we'll often help people create sort of a, a hierarchy of coming back that you work in with your PT or your, your medical team, right? So what's sort of the outline of what you're working on and how does that rate on an anxiety scale? So for example, like, okay, walking without a boot for the first time feels like 
like a two out of 10 on the anxiety scale running, you know, full effort feels like a 10 out of 10 on the anxiety scale. And then there's a bunch of stuff along the way, whatever that may be. So the work is to develop that anxiety, psychological regulation and physical strength to match as you move up the hierarchy, right? So you do the two and you work on the psychological, okay, I got this. I'm trusting my body. I'm building in that efficacy that things are okay. And I can handle a step three. Let's do step three, do the same thing. Step four. So you move yourself up the, the bigger anxiety that's going to lurk. Um, it also needs to be recognized, right? The fear about really returning to sport, the fear about potential long-term impact. Those are things that need to be addressed as well. Okay. That's super helpful. Um, it's always nice to have your feelings validated and to know it's this arc is perfectly normal. And when I am eventually able to return to running and out there, um, not really trying not to look at my watch at all regarding my pace. And when I get out there for my first race, God willing sooner rather than later, um, I'm going to really try and employ those strategies of thinking of it as eventing and just moving through it with um, a process oriented goal, of course, but also with some performance efficacy. I'm really going to take this to heart. So I appreciate your, your taking the time to, and thank you listeners for allowing Dr. Ross to uh, indulge me for a few minutes. I really appreciate <laughs> that advice. <laughs> well, my, my guess is you're not alone, right? I mean, I'm sure there are or others listening right now who are on that sure. similar arc or in one of those stages. And I think like the psychology of injury and, and recoveries, it's a really important topic we should be talking about more regularly. Absolutely. It's fascinating too, how it's really universal and how everything you're saying today, you know, we're nodding our heads here. It's because we all have these, you know, what you're saying, you articulate everything that I think it goes to an athlete's mind, whether we're healthy and and training and competing or we're recovering or we're coming back from injury or back from a break. Like we all have this going through our minds. And I think it's often for me, at least very hard to put into words and, and articulate or explain. And you've done such a perfect job of that. Like I said, we're sitting here nodding, nodding our heads along. So, um, you know, before we wrap things up, tell us first, tell our listeners where they can find the training peaks, um, training plan, how they can subscribe to that. And then also kind of broader, more broadly, um, where they can find you, what kind of services you offer if you do, you know, one-on-one -on -one, um, sessions, mm -hmm. and if people want to find out more about your practice and, and connect with you, how they can do that. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. So uh, my website's just drjustinross.com. So that's an easy place to find me. And on, um, on that, you can, you know, find access to some other things that I've created, blog articles, other podcast interviews, what have you. Um, the Training Peaks course, I'll make sure that you both have a link to that and maybe put it in the show notes. Yep. Um, for anybody on Training Peaks, it's just, um, it's just embedded as a training plan. And so you can go in and you can load that thing up and, um, and then it will be there for you on, on the calendar side. I've also, a, a few years ago, I created a, a course for coaches on there through, they call it Training Peaks University, um, which they have a number of, of coaching uh, classes. So there's just a very basic introduction to sports psychology on there. It's a few years old, so um, it's pretty much still up to date. There's some new additions that will probably work on a second edition at some point here, but that's a, a place to check out as well. Um, and then I will get to work on putting this on Final Surge so that, that you all have access to it for, um, for those who are Final Surge athletes. Oh, and last but not least, I put in um, a discount code on Training Peak. So Boston23 will get you a 10% discount on the uh, on the embedded training plan as well. Awesome. Fantastic. 
And there's no reason any um, athlete, I know from our perspective as coaches, we have athletes that are using final surge, but if they were okay <laughs> being on a second platform, they could also, it's just like having two calendars, you know, it's maybe yeah. they're not, they're not synced right now, but they're certainly, that's certainly, um, you know, I don't think it's that, that far-fetched to think somebody could just use two calendars at this point. Yeah. A, a lot of people do that. And the, when you buy the training plan, it also, it gives you access to training peaks. So you don't have to buy a subscription, like buying the training plan gets you the subscription. So they have a kind of a nice benefit for doing that. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Justin Ross. You were awesome. And we would love to have you back um, just to talk about a few, flesh out a few more of these topics, because this is obviously something we could talk about for so much longer than an hour, but we really appreciate your time and wisdom. And we have no doubt that our listeners will greatly benefit from your guidance and advice, whether or not they're running Boston or some other marathon this spring, it's universal advice for any athletic endeavor. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Always enjoyed chatting with you both. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, con con continuing the conversation. Thanks. Have a great one. Good luck with those solar panels. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.